Well, good morning and welcome to Restoration Church Online. My name is Pastor Kevin, and I am so excited to be able to worship with you this morning. I've said this the last couple of weeks, man, I miss seeing your faces. I miss being able to gather physically with, with each other. But I am so glad that you've chosen to continue to engage with us and tune into these online services. Uh, for those of you uh, watching, happy Father's Day. And maybe for you, that's a reminder, you need to call your dad and wish him a happy Father's Day. In fact, here we are on Father's Day. I was thinking about some of the things maybe we heard from our parents as we were growing up. Like I remember when I was annoyed with my siblings, I would make these funny faces, you know, you make these funny faces and your parents would say to you, they would say, if you keep making those funny faces, your face will stay that way forever. How many of you had the parent that said that? Yes, I remember it. I remember those words clearly. I remember some of the other things my, my parents would say to me, some things maybe a little bit more helpful. In fact, I remember one thing that my mom said that was formative in my growing up years. She said, you are who you hang out with. Uh, she said this idea of show me your friends and I will show you your future, which carries this idea that if you have this consistent exposure to a certain group of people, you'll begin to look like them and talk like them and, and be like them. You know, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to Christianity, what do we form our lives around? What are the things that we are exposing ourselves to that we begin to look alike? Is there something in the life of a Christian that helps to define us as being a person of faith? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I do have five kids, and so with five kids, we watch a lot of kids' movies. And I'll be honest, I enjoy the kids' movies. Even when the kids don't want to watch it, I still enjoy watching those kids' movies. If you watch Disney and Pixar movies, you see something that is consistent throughout those movies. You'll see this, this A113 appears in all sorts of movies. It appears in the, in the movie Cars. It's one of the train numbers. In Toy Story, it is Andy's mom's license plate number. It pops up everywhere in the movie Up, in the movie Monsters, Inc., in the movie Finding Nemo, Ratatouille. It is everywhere. You even see this A113 in the, the movies like Mission Impossible and even in Hunger Games. So when I began noticing this number A113, I, I, I did a Google search. What does A113 represent? And that actually is a classroom in the California Institute of the Arts. And so whenever you see A113 appearing in a movie, that is a sign, that is a signal that an alumni of the California Art Institute has been a part of that movie. So you might call it like a digital calling card. You might call it a fingerprint that identifies there's an alumni here. Listen, what is the defining characteristic of us being a, a Christian? Is it our religious devotion? Is it because we wear a cross jewelry or we have the t-shirt or the bumper sticker? Is it based on how we vote? Is it based on the fact that we go to church, that we live moral lives, we don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't go with who girls who do? What is the defining characteristic of our faith. In fact, I went to a pastor's conference uh, a number of years ago, and, and if a non-believer were to step in that pastor's conference, they would be convinced that if you were a Christian, you wore skinny jeans, you had a hip t-shirt, and you had a long goatee. That was just kind of the look that the guys had. We're in this series uh, this summer called The Last Words, based on John chapters 13 through 17. This is where Jesus recounts the last five hours that he spent with his disciples over a dinner table and spending some time in the garden together. 
And this is where Jesus gave them some last words, some final teaching to encourage them as they're getting ready to face some difficult times, some times of uncertainty. As Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus dies, is buried, and rises again from uh, the grave. And today, Today we're going to talk about how there's lots of, of ways that we define what a Christian is. There's lots of characteristics that we look towards that are often easier than what Jesus asks of us. Because in our text today, in John 13, verses 31 to 38, Jesus is going to say that if we have genuine faith, if we have a, a, a faith in Jesus, if we're a real Christian, then he's going to say the defining characteristic for us is that we mirror or we reflect the love of God to those around us. He says that love is the defining characteristic of a Christian. It is what we should be known for. It is what we are known by. It's what identifies us as being a part of the family of God and a genuine believer. If you remember where we picked off, where we left off last week, Judas Iscariot, the guy who looked like a Christian. He had all the religious duties that we would look to. He was more religious than any of us listening in this video today. Judas Iscariot somehow was not yet, had never surrendered his heart fully to God. And we saw that Judas, he lives, leaves the dinner table and he is set to betray Jesus. And so verse 31, our text today, it picks up and it says, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. The Son of Man is a term that John often uses for Jesus. He says, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Verse 32, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I read verses like that, and I'm like, huh? Who? What? What are we talking about here? You see, in these texts, in these two verses, you see glorify or glorification five different times. This idea to glorify, it refers to uh, drawing attention to something. It refers to displaying the greatness of a person. So in our day and age, we may put a, a slideshow together that, that shows uh, the good in somebody's life. Here's some awesome things that this person has accomplished. And as he's talking about the glory of Jesus, to glorify Jesus, he's talking about Jesus' finest hour. He's talking about where, where Jesus' greatness is most displayed. And John is referring to the cross. He's not referring to a slideshow or the miracles that Jesus did or his teaching or, or his example. The glory of Jesus is the cross. His death, his burial, and his resurrection, that is Jesus' finest hour. In fact, his great, the, the greatness of Jesus is displayed in the cross. In fact, this is where Jesus shows his obedience to the Father. This is where Jesus shows his incredible humility where he goes to give his life as a sacrifice. This is where Jesus shows his love, by dying in the place of us, by dying in the place of sinners, and taking our punishment on the cross that we deserve. You see, what happens in John chapters 1 through 12, as John writes, uh, Jesus continues to, to say that the Son of Man will be glorified. It's going to happen. But here in verse 31, you see that John says, Now, the Son of Man has been glorified. You see, as Judas goes to betray Jesus, this sets in motion the work of the cross, where the plan of redemption is now underway. You might say the first domino has been set off. Now all the other dominoes are going to set into place. 
The first domino, domino, Jesus or Judas betrays Jesus, and then Jesus gets arrested. He gets tried. He gets sentenced. He gets put on the cross. He dies. He's buried, and he rises again from the grave. And now all these dominoes are set in place. And so now Jesus says, now, now my glory has begun. It has begun. In fact, it goes a little further than that. It's not only is, is Jesus glorified on the cross, but Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the image of God. And so not only is Jesus glorified, but also God is glorified in the cross because that is where he offers us redemption to humanity. That is where God restores us into a right relationship with him. And so the point of all this, we say, who, huh, what, what does this mean? The point of all is this, is that, is that the cross is the central point of our faith. That everything that goes in the cross, Jesus' death, his resurrection, this is a central part of our faith. And so when we diminish the cross and what Jesus accomplishes through that, we diminish Jesus. We diminish God. And so when we, in our religious observation, when we focus more on our religious uh, devotion, when we focus more and we exalt human abilities, and when we value methods and skills, and we prioritize what we can accomplish in our own strength, what we're doing is we are shrinking and reducing the glory of God. We're taking away from all that God has done and trying to put the attention on us. We're taking away from God's finest hour of what he accomplished for us on the cross. So we have to understand the cross is central to our faith. It's where Jesus and God are at their finest hour, where they display their greatness the most. The, our, our text continues in verse 33. And this is where we see the, the source of the anxiety and the fear that the disciples are having in this season. Because here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, little children, which is a term of endearment, of love. He says, he says I've, got a little bit, I've got a little bit longer with you. And you're going to seek me, but like I've said to the Jews, and now I'm saying to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. You see, at this point, the disciples had not yet understood the mission and the purpose of Jesus. They had this idea that Jesus was going to be a political ruler and he was going to overthrow the, the Roman oppression and that he would be a, a physical king with a physical kingdom on the earth. And so they're jostling, hey, we want the highest position of authority. Can we be your vice president? Can we be given a high position of leadership? Like many of us, they could not grasp that their, that their greatest problem was not a physical problem. The greatest problem was a spiritual problem. And so when Jesus said, I'm going to die, I'm going to re be resurrected, and I'm going to ascend to my Father in heaven, they couldn't quite understand it. They couldn't understand why Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot go as well. And this was upsetting to the disciples. They weren't ready for that. Their faith had been defined by how they had followed and walked around with Jesus. And they couldn't grasp the idea of their faith being uh, real when Jesus wasn't with them. Listen, Jesus is going to address his departure in the upcoming chapters, in chapters 14 and 16. But right now, he just introduces it here. And as we continue in our text, this is where we get to the core of our text. Verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. He says, By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, I see Jesus said this is a new commandment. And I'll be honest, it doesn't sound like a new commandment to me. 
Like if you're familiar with scripture, like the Bible talks about loving one another. The book of Leviticus, way back in the beginning, it says in Leviticus, it says, uh, God says to love your neighbor as yourself. From the very beginning of the Bible, God says, love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, in, in, in the New Testament, some religious leaders come up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And if you remember his response, he says, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he said, the second commandment is like the first. And he quotes Leviticus by saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And so if, if, if scripture has already talked about that, if Jesus has already said this, how then is this a, a new commandment? See, it's not new as in it has just come into existence. It's new in the sense that it has been refreshed. It's new as opposed to something that has been worn out. It's been refreshed. It's been revived. You might think about it like this. Like me, I'm not mechanically inclined at all. With cars, I'm terrible. Like I know, like when I, when I pop the hood, I know there's somewhere the oil goes, and I know there's like spark plugs and some other things in there. All I know is that when I get in a car, I should turn on the key and the car should start up. But while I'm not mechanically inclined, man, I love looking at old cars. I love Vintiques. And so when we go look at the Vintiques, we'll look at a 1960s Mustang, a 1960s Camaro, beautiful cars. Listen, those cars aren't new, but they've been refreshed. They've been revived. And so they are new in a sense. And this is, this is what Jesus is saying. This is a new commandment, not in that it's never been heard before, but it's new in the sense that the foundation for love, the foundation for love has been refreshed. The foundation for love has been given a new standard, a new basis for love, and that is rooted in the cross. Because this standard for love that was set in motion with the betrayal of Judas is now centered on the cross. That on the cross, Jesus laid aside every right that he had. Every right he had, even the right to life. He set it aside for the good of others. And that is now the standard of what love is all about. Radically loving others in a way that costs us. In fact, the love of the cross that Jesus is talking about here in, in John chapter 13, Jesus is living out what Philippians 2 says. That Philippians 2 teaches us that we are to humble ourselves in taking on the form of a servant, which means we give up our rights. We give up all of who we are. I mean, Jesus has done this. He washed the disciples' feet, and these are the people that should have been washing his feet. Jesus gave his life on a cross for people who never deserved it. This is what love is. See, this idea of loving our neighbors ourselves, I mean, that's a high calling. But honestly, it's probably humanly doable, right? At least sometimes, sometimes I can love other people as myself. For example, I love having the last brownie on the plate. But for the sake of loving someone else, as someone loving my neighbor as myself, I can allow someone else to have the last brownie on the plate. I love a good parking spot. But when I'm pulling into Costco and I see an old lady coming in, man, I'll give up my parking spot to the old lady. I have no problem with that. Sometimes we can love our neighbor as herself. I could, when I find someone in need, man, I can give to them out of my excess. I have got extra. Here you go. You can have this. Like sometimes that's doable. But for us to love as Jesus loved, to give all of ourselves, to surrender 
our rights, trust to love in a way that costs us deeply. Like, can we love in a way that actually hurts us? Do we love in a way that causes us to lose attention and affirmation from people? Do we love in in a way that is not just out of our excess, but do we love in a way that hurts our bottom line? Do we love in a way that we are actually willing to give our life for someone else? See, rarely will a man give his life for someone else. He might see the Secret Service do it for a president. You might see a, a husband do it for his wife, a parent do it for their child, but rarely will a man give his life for someone else. And Jesus says this is a standard of love now. Love, that you would love another person in this way, that you would give all of yourself at great cost to love someone else. And here's the problem. We're selfish. By nature, we're, we're selfish. We would rather be served than to serve. We'd rather receive this love than to give this kind of love. And this is where this is so huge. And you've got to understand what Jesus said in the text. Verse 35, Jesus said, By this, people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, we think about all the things that we think define our Christian faith. We've got our religious devotion. We dress in a certain way. We don't say bad words. We don't watch bad movies. We don't hang with bad people. We go to church. We give money to the offering. We go on missions. Listen, these are all good things. They're all valuable. But in terms of our witness, in terms of other people knowing where we stand, those things don't mean a lick. Listen, non-believers live that way. Cult members, they live in those same ways. And Jesus is saying the proof, the evidence of our faith, the evidence that we are a real believer in Jesus, we're a real Christian, is that we mirror the love of Jesus that he's displayed through the cross, that we mirror that love to the people around us. See, here's the thing. When I read a passage like this, I immediately think, well, I'm good. Like, I love people I I'm good. And maybe you might look at this text and think, yeah, me too. I love people. But you see, we have this sin nature where we always think of ourselves in the best light. We oftentimes put these rose-colored glasses on. And let me ask you a question that scares me. Let me ask you this question. And I'm afraid to answer it myself. What is it that you are known for? What is it that you are known for? Think of all the things that I might be known for. I might be known for maybe my leadership ability, my humor, my work ethic, being a good listener. You might be known for your sarcasm. I think about my role as husband and father and pastor and friend. Like, I hope I'm known for someone who is engaged. I hope I'm known as someone who is fun, who is accessible. But are we known by our love? Think about your work and your school and the places you live amongst your family. What is it that you are known for? Are you known for love? And not just, not just a shallow love, not just a tolerant love, but are you known by being a person who loves in the way of the cross? And are you known as someone who loves in the way that transcends your own self-interest? Are you known as someone who loves deeply, who loves in a way that ruins your plans, that disrupts your normal life? 
Are you known as a person who loves in a way that moves you towards people and places you wouldn't normally go? Are you known for loving it in a messy love, a vulnerable love, a love that costs much of you? See, for me, that question is kind of like a, a cold glass of water thrown into my face. And I hope I'm not alone. You see, as recipients of God's incredible love, we ought to be astonished at the love that Jesus shows us in the cross. And Jesus is saying, if we are recipients of that love, in the same way, other people should be astonished at the way that we love them. And that's so challenging to me because I'm not sure people are astonished by my love. You know, the issue for many of us in the church is we're oftentimes we're known for what we're for or what we're against. We're known for our convictions. And so we have these things that we, what, what we believe and what we do are important. They absolutely are. But so often what we do is we allow our orthodoxy, which is our right belief, or our orthopraxy, which is our right living. We allow these things to be our defining characteristic. Where what we're defined by is, well, I'm conservative. I'm liberal. I'm Democrat. I'm Republican. I'm for Trump. I'm against Trump. I'm for Governor Inslee. I'm against Governor Inslee. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm religious. I'm non-religious. I'm reformed. I'm non-reformed. I'm this, uh, I'm this type of Christian. I'm that kind of Christian. I'm charismatic. I'm Pentecostal. I'm this. I'm that. And we are known for these things because we have these convictions. We want to hold on to what we believe. And so we fight for these things. We are known by these things. You know what that does? When we are known by these things, we begin to shut people out. Because we look at people and say, who's with me and who's against me? It's us versus them. Who's on my side? Who's against us? And what that does is it diminishes the cross. It diminishes the cross. It turns people off to the truth of the gospel. Because do we, do we actually hear what the Bible just said? The Bible just said that we will, known, we will be known as being a genuine follower of Jesus, not by our convictions, not by our religious devotion. We'll be known as a, as a follower of Jesus if we express love. This doesn't mean we can't have our convictions. Listen, having right beliefs is important, but it means we don't allow those things to define who we are. That even though we have these convictions, we're we choose to be defined by love and not our convictions. You could say it like this, you lead in love and not your conviction. Scripture portrays this. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well. And if you remember that story, Jesus engages in her. He develops a relationship with her, and then he deals with her sin and addresses it. The woman caught in adultery, brought before Jesus. What does he do? He, he defends her amongst the hypocritical religious rulers. And then he says to her, go and sin no more. Listen, we can have our convictions and we should have our convictions, but our love has got to speak louder than our convictions. We have to, to lead with love. Let me give you an example of what that looks like. I, I saw this interview uh, about a year ago about a guy by the name of Glenn Stanton, who's an executive at the conservative organization Focus on the Family. And the interview was with him and a guy by the name of, of Jonathan Rauch, who was, these two were friends. Jonathan Rauch is a, is a gay rights activist and author. 
And so you have these, these two guys that are complete opposite ends of the spectrum. They're on the complete opposite divide uh, of where they stand and what they believe. And in the inter interview, the interviewer asked John, he says, listen, you guys have so much against one another. Your beliefs are so divided. Why do you remain friends with a guy like Glenn? And you know how this, this guy responded? Jonathan says, listen, I'm friends with him because of the way that he loves me. In fact, when I got cancer, Glenn was the first person to call me and check in on me and offer to pray for me and offer me hope. Listen, I know where he stands. I know how he believes, but he leads with love. So that's what it looks like. In fact, this is where this gets very convicting. Listen, someone who believes differently than you do, would they say they know they define you by your love or by your conviction? Do we actually engage relationally and have deep, meaningful friendships with people that are different than us? Or are we so stuck in our convictions and what we believe that we fail to, to love in the way that Jesus has instructed us to love? You see, I, I want to be known by my love. And I know I'm not there. I know I have a lot of room to grow. And this is where, how do we grow in this? How do we become greater at loving the way that Jesus loved? This is where I say, remember what we talked about, about our parents, and uh, the things that they say to us. Remember how our parents said, if you keep making that face, your face is going to get stuck that way. It didn't work. My face is normal. Okay, it may not be normal, but I think it is. Remember how your parents said, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. The idea that a consistent exposure will form you into what you are exposed to. See, I think that's the secret. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he said in verse 35, at, or verse 34, as I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. See, this is where the gospel is so significant. The gospel has to be a daily part of our lives. That as God has loved us, in the way of the cross, and all that he did for us in redemption, as God has loved you, when he gave his life for us, when we were not asking for it, when we were unworthy of it, when we were at our worst, as God has loved us, he loved us with an incredible love that cost an incredible amount, amount from him. That when we recognize that we've been loved by that, like that, that we anchor our life and our heart in receiving that love from him. And when we come back to that truth again and again and again, guess what? As we're exposed to that pretty soon, our life will begin to mirror that love to those around us. That as we allow our heart and life to be anchored in the love that he's displayed for us on the cross, that pretty soon we begin to reflect and radiate that same love to the people around us. You want proof that this happens? You want proof that we can change and grow and how we love one another and how we are obedient to what Jesus has called us to? Look at how John closes the chapter. Look what Jesus says next. See, despite this teaching that Jesus is teaching the disciples, Peter is hung up on this idea that Jesus is leading him. And so he says, well, Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus responds, and he says, where, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will afterwards. Verse 37, Peter says, Lord, Lord, can I follow you now? 
And this is where Peter makes his bold proclamation. He says, he says, Lord, I will give my life for you. I will, I will die for you. And Jesus responds in verse 38 and says, Oh, really? Truly, truly, I say to you, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me three times. This is a well-known story if you've been around church long. Well-known story says that Jesus is arrested and he's being brought before the religious authorities. And Peter follows along at a distance, tries to, to follow and see what happens to Jesus. And as Jesus looks on and sees Peter in the distance, a slave girl comes up and questions Peter, aren't you one of his? And Peter denies knowing Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. And then the rooster crows and Peter is wrecked. He recognizes, man, I am not there yet. Listen, the reality is, we are not perfect in this. We don't love the way that we should and we're gonna continue to fail. We're gonna continue to allow our faith in our life to be defined by the wrong things. Listen, it's in these moments that we recognize that we are not known by love. It's in these moments that we need to experience the love of the cross once again. See, as Peter fails miserably, as Peter says, I'll, I'll give my life for you, and then he denies Jesus, as Peter does this, what we're going to find is in, later in the book of John, God's not done with him yet. God offers him grace. God offers him forgiveness. God offers him redemption. And God uses Peter in a tremendous way. You see, the good news for us is if we are not known by our love, if we're more known for our convictions and our religious devotion and our goofiness and our political convictions, if we're known for these things, the good news is today we have an opportunity to repent to experience new the love of God, to experience and be refreshed in the love that God has extended towards us. And we can say, God, I'm here. Would you forgive me for allowing my life to be defined by other things? Because like Peter, listen, God is not done with you yet. God wants to accomplish amazing things in us and through us, in our city, in our valley, in our world. The question is, what will we be known for? What will we be defined by? Our convictions or by our love? Just a real practical thing. I want to give you two things to do as, as a takeaway. Two things to do on how to apply this. Number one, I want you to pray with me this week. I want you to pray this, this bold prayer. I want you to pray and say, God, God, would you help me to love as you have loved? God, would you help my life to be defined by your love? Listen, I'll be honest, this is a scary prayer. This is a bold prayer. But I promise you, as we, we, we pray this, I believe that God can transform us. And God can transform our lives where we are defined by the very thing that he says our lives should be defined by. Second thing I want you to do, this comes from Nike, just do it. This week, Look for an opportunity to love someone, to sacrifice, to give yourself away for someone else. Listen, there's not a list of things you should do. I'm not giving you a list. I'm just saying look for the opportunity and do it. It might be helping an old lady across the street. It might be giving someone in a way that, that costs you something deeply. It might be extending grace and forgiveness to someone who doesn't deserve it. What I'm asking you this week, if we're to be defined by love, 
Let's just go and do it. Let's just go and find someone and love them, give to them, befriend them, listen to them. And let's be people that are defined by how we love those around us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for just this challenge. I thank you, Lord, for the challenge you've given me in my heart today. Lord, I pray, number one, that we would receive your love. God, that we would recognize the incredible love that you have extended to us through the gospel, through what you accomplished in the cross, through your, your death, your burial, and your resurrection. But God, you have chosen to forgive people who don't deserve it. But you have given your life for people who have chosen to rebel against you. And God, as we listen to this message today, God, I pray that we would receive that love anew, that we'd be refreshed in that the amazing grace that we don't deserve. God, what a great love that is. God, I thank you that you loved us in that way, that you loved us first, that you extended that love to redeem us. God, how great is that love? God, I pray that we would be a people who would anchor ourselves in that love. And the gospel would just be a daily part of our life where we'd be reminded of the love you've extended towards us. And God, I pray that we would allow that love to radiate through us. God, I pray as a people, I pray for myself that, God, we would be known not by our convictions and our religious beliefs, but we'd be known by our love, by the way that we love the people around us, that we would sacrifice ourselves, we would give ourselves to those around us. God, I pray for those of us struggling through this, that you would convict us and challenge us, that we'd have this desire deep in our heart to be known by what you've said defines our faith. God, I pray that you would use us in that way. I pray, God, as we say, God, I want to be defined by this. God, I pray that you would put in our minds and our hearts the opportunity this week to love people in a sacrificial way. And that, God, I pray that you would even give us that encouragement that we would see that love transform lives of the people around us, that we would see our love making a difference in our city and in our world and in our community. God, I thank you that you've chosen to work through the likes of us. And pray, God, that you help us to be a people defined by love. That that would be the calling card of Restoration Church. That we wouldn't be known as a church of our size or our programs or our building, but we'd be a church known by how we love people. God, we love you and praise you. And thank you so much for all you do for us. Jesus, we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.